Welcome to the Guys From Podcast, just two guys answering the internet's questions. I'm Sean Cordingly. And I'm Jeremy Berkeley. Today's question comes to us from Tom, and it's how to build a narrative. Tom and other people. Yeah. Because we definitely heard about this after we did our previous being a first-time GM podcast. Yep. Plug, plug, plug. And we also said we would do it. Yeah, after exactly. After that one, so... But shout out to Tom, who shout asked us before we had done any of the D&D stuff. Before it was cool, Tom asked. Yeah. Way to be a hipster, Tom. Go, Tom. <laughs> Get those lensless black frame glasses and pull them off. Mm. Yeah. Wear those corduroys. <laughs> Man, I miss having corduroys. Corduroys are a very comfortable cloth. Yeah. Period. Did you know corduroy means cloth of the king? I did not, uh-huh. although it makes sense yes. if you break it down into its original language. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Wear your king pants, Tom. Well, that just about does it for today. <laughs> we did just build a narrative around Tom. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this isn't going to be easy. No. This is, First of all, Sean and I, we've said this multiple times, we're very different. Yep. Um, when it comes to running a game. Yep. And not only that, I'm sure we do things in different orders. I would imagine. At, at the same time, we've never sat down and talked about being a GM. No. Like, he has no idea my process or yeah. how I build a story. Also because I don't want to ruin how I'm building the story he's playing. Yes. Yes. And, and Sean's never even played with me. No. So he doesn't, he doesn't even have that insight. Nope. So, the, yeah. We're sorry. This is going to spiral off in random directions. Yes, and if there's anything you want us to elaborate on, we're just going to say it now. If there's anything you want more detail on or more elaboration or a deep dive into one part of what we talk about, Twitter, at Sean Cord, at Mighty Thews, yeah. guys from podcast at gmail.com, Facebook. No one uses it, but I check it, so you can ask so there you if can you want. use it. Maybe we'll put secret messages there. Who knows? Maybe Sean and I will talk and Dave won't know anything. Woo! <laughs> Also, you can send questions to Dave, because I still think that would be funny. <laughs> At David or on. Actually, this is probably the one time I'm going to say, if you have a question about one specific thing, probably message me if it's the thing I said. Yes. Um, because chances are I might do an article about running a game, yep. but I'm going to keep it general if, if I'm writing an article. So if you want specifics, it's probably better to just start a conversation. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Unless there is... I mean, I appreciate it if you want to hear it on the podcast and you yeah. want to hear us talk about it. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, we I guess we could do like a 20 questions one where we just run down a bunch of short things. Yeah. But, but knowing us, that 20 questions is going to turn into 10. It would be 10 questions. It's going to be two hours. It would be, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'd have to do a part two the next month. Yeah. Yeah. And then our entire year is just answering D&D questions. I mean, it's kind of my year always, but... <laughs> Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to start at the only place that I think we can start. Yes. And that is what we do before we even get to the table, before we even know other people's characters. What is our skeleton structure that yes. we've got? Because when we talked about this the first time in our first time being a GM, we told first-time DMs to focus on that first session. Yeah. The thing is, is if you're running beyond a first session, you have to know what's going on before you go to that first one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I said in that one, is that if you know sort of what your threats are going to be, you can seed in very subtle hints. Yes. That later the players will look back on and be like, this person is a genius. Oh, man. Remember this from session three? Yeah. That was there, supposed to be there the whole time. Whoa. <laughs> uh, 
Totally rad, dude. Yeah. I don't know why there's a surfer at the table, but... <laughs> they play the bard. Yeah, you're right. They play the bard. <laughs> <laughs> or that sweet, sweet beach dwarf. Oh, man. Yeah. I am so going to play that someday. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to try and reference the first session that we made there. A little bit, yep. To sort of help people sort of draw in and give examples. Yep. Um, and I guess I will start. Sure. Um what I start with is world state. Okay. So what I mean by that is that what is the current state of the world the players are in? Um, that doesn't have to be very complex for me. I want to know how big the world is that they have access to. Is it a city? Is it a country? Is it a continent? Is it a world? Is it a universe? Um, decide that and then decide the level of stability you want. Do you want points of light? which is everywhere is dangerous except for settlements, and even those are in danger of being run over. Think about the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That, uh, like, that is a perfect example of what it, Jeremy just said. Yeah. Is like there are, it is so dangerous with Sauron rising, Yeah. but there is still Rivendell. There is still Gondor. There yeah. is still these points of light yep. where they can find refuge. Yeah, or is it very civilized, and is it a strike team situation? Yep. This is also a point where any feedback you've gotten from the players when you ask them what type of game they want. Cough session zero, cough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where you can be like, okay, this is the sort of thing. It's also for you what sort of tension you want to be in the game, how grounded you want it to be. Yes. So I start with world state, and then I work backwards. Okay. So how did it get there? If you're running off of an established setting, you already have all that work done. But since this is building a narrative, I'm assuming you're starting from scratch. Yeah. If um, you do choose to build within an established setting, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong Good with Good for it. you. Yeah. Take it, take all of the detail you have, and then use it in your own way. Yeah. 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 A, a running theme through this is make sure you find your own way. Yes. Um, because we've said it before, we'll say it again. You're never going to be as good as somebody else is at being themselves. Exactly. You may want to be Jeremy as a DM. You may yeah. want to be me as a DM. You never will be. No. We both would like to be Matt Mercer. That's never <laughs> going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. I would like that. Yeah. Just combine me, actually. Make me Chris Perkins and Matt Mercer and just fuse them together into yeah. some sort of super, super DM. DM. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Fusion. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I worked backwards from there. So if we're using the example we had with the bear. Right. So to me, that says that this is a points of light campaign. Sure. Because yeah. if it's a smaller town that's having trouble with a bear, that probably means that it has a militia and its militia is busy. Yeah, um, because and, why would the town militia or why would whoever is in charge of that town yeah. not be sending help? Yeah. It also says to me that the capital is far away or hard to get to. Or there's bigger problems in the capital. Exactly. So yeah. there are things that other people have to deal with. Yes. And one of the tools that people have developed to deal with this sort of ever-present danger is the Adventurer's Guild. Yep. So I go, okay, how does this generic fantasy world get there? Because I usually like to actually take an established setting when I'm building from something. Sure. And this is a common theme, I think, for all DMs. Steal where you can. Oh, man. Steal everything. Steal where you can. Um, if you really like a movie, steal it. If you yeah. really like a book, steal it. Don't, like, carbon copy it in. 
No, but lift what you like. Lift moments. Lift tension. Lift points. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell a story that you've read and they won't even realize it. Yeah. I can assure you of that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Especially if you're somebody like me who has seen more stories than pretty much everybody else at the table of people you're running. Exactly. And don't worry about it being the same as that thing because you have input from the players. Yeah, exactly. They are not going to play the book, the video game, the movie that you lifted from. Yeah. Yeah. So what I like to do is take something and rip from it. Sure. Um, So I'll be like, okay, let's choose D&D Forgotten Realms, the most popular setting for D&D. Fine, yep. Most generic, too. Um, okay, it's there. How does it get to this point? And I'm the type of DM who's always like, how small can I make this, especially in the beginning? Yeah. Making it small in the beginning is your best friend because yes. it's not going to overwhelm the players. Yep. And it's not going to overwhelm you. Yes. Especially if this is your first campaign. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get to what I do. Yeah. But... I am not a shining beacon of light for a first <laughs> campaign, but I can help. Yes, yes. So I go, okay, well, it's in the lore of D&D that things are cyclical. Right. That's why you have the goddess of darkness that literally turns everything dark before it can start again. Right. Um, so I go, okay, there comes a point in Forgotten Realms, in this case, where the gods start fighting each other. Just all-out god war. It's going to destroy almost everything. That's the way it works. Yep. Um, But at the same time, mortals are going to be a key component of this because they're basically the only thing that's not accounted for in a god war. Yep. Um, So that's all fighting. And then I go, okay. And then something unexpected happens that breaks the normal cycle. Because usually it's god war. Everything's razzed. Gods are like, oh shit. And they build it up anew. Right. Uh, (laughs) So uh, I'll be like outside threat. What can that outside threat be? Um, well, in D&D's case, the Far Realm is great. Sure, it's yeah. The, it's the realm that lies outside reality and is full of madness. And is incredibly useful when you're trying to break the norm. Yep, so you could use that. Um, if you wanted your setting to have a more sci-fi or steampunk thing, you could have a dimensional rift that opens it up to a spacefaring race that just the gods can't even deal with. Yeah. Creates this third power that's just as strong, and now you have a really unique setting. Yep. Um, or, you know, maybe a group of archmages decide they're just going to freeze the gods in time. And now all of a sudden you have a setting where there are literal gods frozen in time, probably by the time the campaign's around, they're actual statues. Yeah. Um, that the players can interact with. And this is the part of the second part of the most important thing for your campaign is know what your threats are and know what type of story you want to tell. This is where you're seeding in those things. Yes, and you have to do that early, and you have to start doing it right away. Yeah, and do it like, have a long history. You don't need to know all the specifics. Have it 10,000 years ago. Don't know all of your specifics. Yeah, don't. Keep it vague. (laughs) Yes. And then when your player is like, oh, I want to play a cleric of Helm, the god of protection, I'll be like, okay, but so you were born and raised in the town that is built around the statue of Helm. Done. There's a detail for you. But um, basically by doing all this seeding, you've created an, a starting point and a beginning point. I know those are synonyms, but it's two different things. <laughs> starting point for your history, beginning point for your game. Correct. And it's very easy to fill out the in-between. You yes. can do it vaguely. You can also that way set up how, how the gods work, if there are gods in your setting. Um, or, you know, if there is different technology, how integrated it is. 
what what roles you want the races to have because in standard Tolkien fantasy, unfortunately, the races are pretty racist. <laughs> yes, yes, um, they are. So if you want to really break somebody out of the mold and have, I don't know, beach dwarves. <laughs> sweet, sweet beach dwarves. Sweet, sweet beach dwarves. Um, you can do that. That's your opportunity. Right. Um, and like Sean said, leave things vague. Yes. Because you're going to get information from the players, their races, their problems, um, and what the players themselves are interested in that's going to help you flesh out all that stuff. Yeah. So I would say those are the two big things I do before I even get close to a table. Okay. Do you want to add anything or you want me to just keep talking? <laughs> do you need some tea? Now to you, You want to take a break? <laughs> let me sip my tea. <laughs> I am not actually that different mm-hmm. when it comes to when I'm first starting out a campaign. Mm-hmm. Essentially, what I always look at first is setting. Like you said, world building. Yeah. Now, typically, at, especially at this point, my, all of my experience is Pathfinder or my own game, the game that I've created. So yeah. I obviously know the setting of the game I've created because it's mine. Yep. <laughs> hmm, imagine that. Yeah. Not so, like me. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had to invent the setting to begin with. So I have all of that built around me. But if I am starting from scratch, say I pick up 5th edition and I decide to run a fantasy game, I would be building my own setting because I always want to build my own setting because I like world building. World building is one of my favorite things. And that's why I'm willing to build gigantic worlds and why I'm willing to run gigantic worlds is because that's my favorite part is creating the setting. Whereas I like the microcosm. Right. <laughs> I I build vast. Yeah. And I mean vast. Yeah, we were talking before we started this and John was, was like, hmm. Dang it, I'm going to need two kingdoms. And then like two hours later, he was like, nah, I need five. Yep. Yeah, and we're not talking like country kingdoms. No. These are planets. Yes. Yeah. They are solar system kingdoms. Yeah. It's, it, the space that the Omega Party that I'm running right now, which I have a game that I'm running as of this coming out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Where, oh, what was it? Is it 1,200 solar systems? Yes. I think, I think something divided like among five different kingdoms. Yeah. Of which I am I run them simultaneously as I am fleshing the game. Yep. Yeah. I build a living world, and that is not something for a first time GM. No, and it's ever. not something for every GM. No. Uh, I do do some living world stuff. Right. But for me, it, it everything revolves around the characters. See, and the, then here's the key difference, because yeah. I should explain what I mean by living world. Um, I build a world where it doesn't matter if the characters exist or not. Yeah. What that means is that it's like you're playing in a real place. Yeah. So while the characters will play better based on the fact that they're telling a story within this world, have an effect on the world, everything doesn't revolve around them. So the economy doesn't, not all of the events do. Yeah. Um, in a campaign, in our alpha campaign, because I run two campaigns with the same group based on scheduling, we can just flex between the two. Yeah. There was a character that everybody hated that they met in the very first session. Yep. If they had killed him in the second session, which they could have. We could have did it. They were in their ship. They were directly behind that character's ship. The finger was on the trigger. <laughs> they could have blown that ship out of the sky. Yeah. 
Because they didn't, that character is already dead and brought a plague back to their opening location, and it dramatically altered everything around them. This happened without my party knowing anything about it, because they were off doing, like, mineral surveys and fighting cannibals on a different planet. And if it hadn't happened, I wouldn't have been able to make any S&M jokes. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what I mean by building a living world, is that... While the party is doing what they are doing, everything is going on around them. Yeah. So they can go into a place and there is already something going on there. And I have a rough idea of what that is. That doesn't mean I know all of the details because I don't. But the way that I always think about it is I run a game like dropping a pool, like a, a stone into a pool of water. Yeah. My main antagonist, my main point is the center point. And then everything else is a perfectly concentric circle, a ring that just spreads out from that. Yeah. Yeah, whereas I'm more like, this is what's happening here, this is what's happening here, this is the world events that are going to be happening. Right. But I'm much less... The the way I see it, and this is partly because I don't have a lot of faith in players, (laughs) (laughs) Um, is that... People are generally not going to find the really deep story, but a lot of people really want the deep story. Yep. So I have a deep story there, and I make it so that the characters are central to it. Yes. Um, So especially if you have an inexperienced group, I would lean more to that route. Yes. But if you really enjoy building a living world and you find players, which you will eventually, that are comfortable in that sort of setting, then go for it. Because... Number one rule, find what you enjoy. Exactly. Yeah. The thing is, is with the concentric circle thing, Mm. that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not a through line and there's not a story that, Mm. like, I could easily, within that, you can easily railroad them through the circles. Yep. Right? It's not impossible to do. In Mm. fact, it's super easy to do because you know everything, basically, that you want to happen. Yeah. And then it's just allowing the players to get there. Yeah. Which I feel everyone can do. Like yeah. an inexperienced player, it's just like, okay, here's the world, here's the big problem, and here's what you have to do. Yeah. Here's what you have to do right now. And well, then they're going to find their way. as you provide signposts for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is there anything else you want to say you do before the game starts? I flowchart what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. That's very, very light on detail. Uh, but it's just, it's a basic hit point. Hit point's not the right word to use for this, but I hit on basic points. A PowerPoint. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I've basically made a PowerPoint presentation for myself on what is going to happen in this session based on what I think the players are going to do. Are they going to always hit it? No. Do they almost always hit it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know roughly what, based on the characters, what they are going to do within this construct I've given them. Mm -hmm. So they are going to hit these signposts. Yeah. If they don't... Sometimes I can just let them wander. Maybe they want to drill core samples for four hours. Whatever. But other times I will be like, this happens. Yeah. Here's a thing that will draw them back towards the story. Or they'll just find it a different way to get back to the exact same thing. Yeah. Oh, we're going to go talk to this person. Oh, okay. The bear is attacking on the west side of the village. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That bear attack. 
Yeah. Um, it's like, we're going to go talk to this person, going to go talk to this intelligence officer because we want to find out more detail. Okay. And then I give the details that they could have found by searching this way yeah. or doing what I thought they were going to do, which was go directly there and look for clues. Yeah. Well, I can give it to you in any of these different ways. You've made the choice, but I've still hit that PowerPoint number one. Yeah. Now it's on to number two. You have a way to go. If you go the way I think you will, great. If you don't, great. This doesn't actually, matter. This actually points. This kind of skips over before the table, but you're kind of hitting on something that I do when I'm planning multiple sessions. Okay. Where I have points that I know need to happen in the story. Right. Right? And I don't care where they go. They can go and do whatever, but these points are going to happen, and there needs to be some level of presence for them. Yep. So that's useful to do on a full campaign basis as well. Yes. These are points that I really want to hit. Like, for instance, for the campaign I'm currently running, I'm not going to go farther than where we currently are. Of course. Because in case somebody actually listens to this, no spoilers <laughs> for you. <laughs> go away, my D&D group. Uh, <laughs> but basically I started off, first point was uh, they meet and they meet each other and they also meet the first authority figure. Right. Then I was like, okay, I want them to hit, hit each of the major settlements that I've set up in this essentially country. Okay, sure. So they go over, and I'm going to get them to do something in each and every sort of area. Right. Um, and then I want there to be a war. And I want there to be a war on multiple fronts because I love multiple factions. Uh-huh. Love me them multiple factions. Um, and that's where they are right now. Okay. They're on the war on multiple fronts. But I've obviously planned more points that I want them to do. And part of that is that I wanted to run a war. (laughs) Totally fair. I wanted to do that. I wanted to get them grounded in the setting, so I made them go all over the place. Yeah. Now, I tried to make it easy for them by giving them a way to get around easy, and then they placed a bunch of restrictions on it. But your players are going to do that. Yeah. And let them. Yeah, let the players do what they want to do. It's less work for you. If they're slowing themselves down, but it's still moving the story forward... Take it. And sometimes a player after a session will come up to you and be like, hey, we could have used that like this, couldn't we have? And you go, yep, too bad you didn't. <laughs> yeah. How many times have we both done that after oh, so sessions? So many times. So many times. <laughs> hey, Sean, was this like this? Yeah. Yeah. So we could have just not done that. Yes. Yep. Well, I mean, there was that one shot you ran where there was a monster on a space station. Yep. And we got out a distress signal and then hid in vents until the military came and saved us. <laughs> It was totally not what I was expecting, but yeah. it was perfectly in character, <laughs> yeah. and it told a great story. <laughs> it did. We just... Were they all just, like, hiding events, chatting with themselves? Yeah. So. Yeah, and then, like, knocking on the, like, cybernetic guy on the other side of the decompressed wall, being like, they're here, it's safe to come out now. <laughs> yeah, pop out, and there's, like, full regalia commandos being like, hey, hey, thanks for calling us in. We took care of it. Did you want to go see it? Sure. <laughs> Not what I expected. Yeah. But it seemed like y'all had fun. Uh, you so. know, it was great. It totally felt like we had, like, circumvented a large threat. Yeah. Because, like, none of our characters were there for glory. No. Right? In fact, my character explicitly wants to stay away from that sort of shit. Yeah. Um, so. Was it the, the premise was you were trying to find a doctor to help your friend's burned face? Yeah. Yeah, so it was and like, we shot up at this space station that was just not in a good place. No. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially a mind control creature yeah. that had thralled everyone on this space Except station. Except for the gain members. 
extent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the gang members. So it was a lot of sneaking. It was a lot of sneaking. I also used my Joy's bu- Joy Buzzer on several androids. Yeah. Which is pretty great. Yeah, so th- that's the sort of thing where let them do that and it'll be a great moment that people remember. Yeah. Uh, the most memorable moments in the campaign are when everyone is surprised. Yep. Um, yeah. And they're usually not ones that you explicitly plan. No. Ma- no. Sometimes they are. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes they are. Yeah. But a lot of times something's going to happen that your party or your group is going to talk about for years. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's one more thing that I do before I even get started at the table. Okay. And that is I decide what is hidden. Not only from the characters, but from the people they meet. Yes. What is the hidden truth of this world? Or hidden truths? Sure. Obviously, I can't share what the actual hidden truth is of the world I created. Right. But if we're going with our bare one, yep. then maybe the hidden truth is that bears are actually super intelligent and have a secret underground society, and that's where they go every winter. That sounds fun. Yeah. It's very strange, but it's the decision I've made. <laughs> well, yeah, but admit it. Both of us would totally play a game that's based in that world. We totally would. Totally <laughs> that sounds would. like Se- a great time. A secret bear Illuminati empire Come underground. On. How's that not great? It's pretty great. <laughs> we are the Earth sign, and we have come for your children. <laughs> Bring us berries and honey. Yes, and fish. <laughs> Fresh fish. <laughs> you, salmon, today. <laughs> yes. Fear your bear overlords. Then they pull up their cloaks, and they fade back into the woods. Yeah, back into the woods. And then when you go look from the woods, they're not there, because they're underground. What? <laughs> More bear people. Uh, (laughs) um, But yeah, it could be maybe if we're talking about that world where all the gods are statues. Sure. Maybe there's a couple gods that aren't, right? But nobody knows. Or if you're talking about the techno invasion, maybe those technological people were running from something. Yeah. And it's going to follow them eventually. Eventually. Um, this is, again, it's, you're seeding your threats, and you're also figuring out what's a reveal not only to the characters, but to the world as a whole. Right. Because your players are going to love it when your NPCs are surprised. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. It's great to have an NPC. Like, I have someone who is the chosen of the god of fate in my campaign. Okay. And he's a smart aleck and sort of rubs it in people's faces. Sure. And But he's like, yeah, but I can't tell you that because it might change something. <laughs> Ah. Uh, and my players hate that guy <laughs> yeah. um, and I love him well yeah so much fun to play but having having the world surprised is great for a campaign yes yeah it also it lets the players know there's a huge paradigm shift where because especially at low levels your characters are probably going to be relying on a lot of other people yep they will so usually when I introduce the hidden thing to be revealed a little bit is when there's the paradigm shift and the characters are competent enough or powerful enough that now they can do things that almost nobody else can. Yeah. It sort of, it flips everything on their side because even the people they've been relying on, they can't anymore. Right. It's up to them. Which is always a good feeling. Yeah. Although it might be a stressful feeling, but it, it is, yeah. it can be very exciting and it's a good shift in game as yeah. well. It is one of, I think, the sort of three types of climaxes you can have in a campaign. In a campaign? Yeah, because you can have this big reveal. Sure. You can have the big defeat, right? And then you can have the big triumph. 
Oh, okay. Right? Because you're thinking of a multiple climax campaign. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not like a culmination of everything. Yeah, I mean, when I okay. talk campaign, I'm talking like from first level to max level, which in D&D is 20. Right. Currently. And, I mean, we've my group's been playing for over a year, and they're approaching level 8. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. So, you're talking like a three-year probably? Yeah. Yeah. Three-year campaign. So, to, basically, you try to have one big climax a year. Yeah. Is, is what I try to do. Yeah. That's roughly, well, that's, as you know in the alpha game, when we hit our year, yeah. that, there was a paradigm shift. Yep. Which I had been seeding since session one. And mm-hmm. it, it works on the same kind of premise you were talking about with information being hidden. Mm-hmm. When I'm building NPCs, NPCs that I know that you are going to run into, I always mark out what they know and what they don't know. Yep. So that way, in conversations, somebody just doesn't randomly say something. Bill, the bartender, probably doesn't know what's going on inside the inner circle of the court in the capital. Yeah. Uh, have a character where you're not sure if they're going to know that. Yeah. Roll for it. Yeah. If they probably trained in the skill, but you're not sure if they know if they're that in the know. Give them a roll. Yeah, exactly. Gives you a roll, which you will always like. Yeah, and also it tells the players that there is some variability to what's happening here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but that's pretty. That's those are the big things I do before we even start playing. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I focus on before we get to the table when it comes to narrative, like the full campaign building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this doesn't include all the conversations I have with players. No, not at all. Because what you should be doing is having conversations with your players, especially if they've given you very generic backstories. Yeah, or none. Or not, no backstories, to try and pull some details out of them. Yeah. Because it's, one, very, very helpful to have locations that your characters will care about. Yeah. And you'll only know that by talking to them. Or they'll come across them during the campaign. But it's much better to have them beforehand. Oh, it's, it's so much better. And two, you can start figuring out where they're going to start. Yep. What you need. Which is a small town with a bear problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel I feel like there is one more thing that I'm not remembering. Okay, well, I'm just going to throw out ideas until something clicks for you. Okay. Is it character-based? Well, I, I'm assuming we're going to talk about building antagonists in the second half. Yes. Because that's a key part. I mean, I, I try to have maybe one or two. But that's, again, that's the seeding the big threats Yeah. That, that I was talking about before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess faction building? Faction building. I definitely, yes. Yeah. Faction building. Before getting to the table, you have to have an idea of the factions. You don't need every faction. Oh, God, do not try and build every faction. No. <laughs> you will build a hundred, and you'll use three of them, and you'll have to build eight that the players find and that they need. Um... One of the most complex factions that I have in my D&D game only came about because one of my players wanted to be a pit-fighting slave that had escaped. Okay, yeah. So I was like, okay, I know exactly where that is in this world. It's in the middle of this mercenary camp. So what are the main mercenary guilds in this camp? Right. Right? So I fleshed out five different ones with different leaders. I attached and like leaders and some... Usually what I try and do is have three figures attached with each faction. Yeah, okay. The leader, maybe, like, the person who deals with intel, and then a grunt. Yeah. That I can just pull on whenever I need to. That's fair. Num- the number of three applies to comedy and also planning. Yeah. <laughs> 
Having three is usually a good idea. Yeah. But yeah, definitely your factions. Definitely your factions. And again, this is sort of where you can insert things you want into the game. Like, you might be able to say a player comes from a faction, in which case that's great. Give them a giant lore drop. Yeah. Just exposition the shit out of them. Yep. And do it in text form and just leave them to it. Yeah. Because it's going to inform so much of what they're going to do. And also they might be like, oh, I don't like this. And you'll be like, great, we avoided that. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been six months you would have hated. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, what type of faction do you want? Do you want an adventurer's guild? Yeah. Um, do you want them to have secret machinations on controlling the, ki- the kingdom? Um, or are they secretly connected to the underground bear race? <laughs> The Ursine cultists. Yeah. Do you need a cult? Do you need a cult? Do you have a military force patrolling roads? Do you have... Militias, mercenary groups. Yep. uh, Crime organizations. Are there any legendary creatures that have claimed a large swath of territory? Yeah. Do people worship and pay tribute to said creatures? Yes. Have they found the Ur-Bear? Gigathorn. (laughs) King of bears. King of bears. They say when he walks, thunder sounds. Yeah. And salmon weep in terror. <laughs> salmon can't cry unless Gigathorn walks. <laughs> he hasn't moved from his throne in decades, because if he does, he will split mountains with his girth. <laughs> uh. Again, 100% I would play that game. <laughs> the final level 20 boss is a gigantic Ur-Bear? Yeah. Yeah. Heck yes. But yes, factions are definitely important yeah i built tons go before when i was building the game i built a full set that Mm. way there was stuff to start from but then with every time i run a campaign i take bits and pieces the alpha party the where it's a basically you're not even really mercenaries you're just kind of adventure seekers we're no we what we are are plunderers sean we are just out to make a quick buck And not very good at that. Not very good at it. But they have stumbled across, and this isn't a spoiler for Jeremy because they've already gotten here, but they've stumbled across a vast religious conspiracy that is trying to seize a section of space. Yep. Them guys are dicks. Yes. Yes, they definitely are. (laughs) And what is that faction based off of? A single line that I added when I was filling out one of the major factions when I was building the rulebook. Yeah. And I was like, I have this already. I'm going to use it. So if you find something in Forgotten Realms and you click one thing in there really clicks for you, you can build completely around that. Yep. And just flesh that out. Because that's literally what I have done. Yeah. And I wrote the damn rulebook. Yep. And I still didn't know this was where this was going to go. Yep. No, it's it's great. It's absolutely, it's, it's perfect advice. And you did seed it very early. Oh, super early. Yep. I think second session. One of our, if one of the players, Danilo, our friend Danilo, mm-hmm. in the game, had succeeded at a climbing check in the first session, he would have found something that started clicking it then. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it got there in by second. Yeah, because we signed a contract with the bad guys. Accidentally. Accidentally, but I was like, mm. <laughs> so they they signed mm. a contract with the main like the main power in the region hired them to do something. Yeah. Then the second one, they got paid by what they now know is the main bad guys. Yeah. To be like, fair, we demanded like half up front. Yeah. So we kind of took the money and ran. Kind of. Kind of. But you know, they placed bugs on our ship, whatever. They sure did. Uh. <laughs> and things went very poorly. <laughs> yes. Like I said, not very good at it. Nope. Uh, but we're getting there. 
Yep. They're, they're, they're working there. Yeah. Now all of a sudden they have a third contract with the first one on hold and the second one they think they've burned. Oh, God, there's so much stupid financial stuff in that party. <laughs> we literally spent two hours banking, which again – I then sat down. I hadn't built banks yet. Mm-hmm. I started fleshing it out. When I started to learn the players, I'm like, okay, a couple of these players really like the financial side. Then I built banks. Yeah. And those banks now have lore. But and I credit cards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and percentages on financing and all of the bank stuff. Yeah. Did I do that before? No. Do you have to do that if your players like finance? No. no. <laughs> but it's now a faction. Yeah. And it's a faction in-game. And it's a faction in-game that I can use in future. They can have contracts to do with that. They can find branches of it. There are now stories there that are possible, all because of a single moment. Yeah, but I would say to start the game, the number of factions I had to start the game were I had five different cities that were all loosely aligned with each other, but very different culturally. I had a neutral place where anybody could go, good or evil. And again, this Jeremy always when Jeremy's talking fantasy campaign, yep. and when I'm talking sci-fi campaign. Yeah, that way we can give you a, a variation. Yep. Yep. Um And then I had the mercenaries guilds that I had to build. Sure. And then I had I think three evil factions. Okay. Ready to go, and that's because it's fantasy. You do actually separate them. There's less gray in a fantasy. Yes, there definitely is. Um, that being said, you can totally make things super gray if you want. Yeah, if you want. Um, however, that can make things unclear to the players, and a lot of times it can make it the players feel like it's been unfair towards them. Yes. They find out that they've been working with uh, someone who is into child slavery. Mm, that's a bit of a stinger. Yeah, they might uh, not be happy about they that. They might not be super happy about that. There might be groups that are like, I knew something was up and like loving the moment. Yeah. And there might be groups that are like, I can't believe you just implicated us in this. Like, you're a horrible person. In which case you laugh, your DM laugh, and yeah. smile your DM smile, and then whittle away, whooping. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, roll initiative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. I think that's everything beforehand. Do we want to go to commercial and well, then step back in? As you had just done that, I feel like it would be a good idea to, to let people know how much. Because I talk about yeah, building vast fucking galaxies for, for a game. But for, and I'm specifically going to stick with Alpha Party because Jeremy knows the most about the story in Mm. that case, so I won't be spoiling stuff. Whereas Omega, mm, not quite enough yet. I had a home base, which was like a prospecting base for Mm. a major faction, like a company, essentially, who was trying to expand their region of influence. So I had a home base, that company, two religions that I needed them to know about, and two other planets that they could go to to figure stuff out. That's what I had to start. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, so I actually had more than you did. Yes, you did. Yeah, but you flesh out more as you go. I do. Yeah. Also, because it's a a universe, there are all of these other things. So, yes, I had a major, like, okay, so this space is on the border of one of the major factions. You also major factions in your rulebook. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a like if you want to count that, yeah. I'm not using 99% of them mm-hmm. in this in that game. Yeah. But there was one I suppose that I should mention. The say the consortium is important as yeah. well. So like yeah. the, they're on the edge of consortium space. There's this company that runs a like a triangle of solar systems that wants to add a fourth. Yeah. There's two religions. They didn't know about one, like the sub faction in it that's wrecking shop now. Yeah. But they knew of the religion. 
and that was it. Yep. Two planets they can go to, yeah. and that was their good job. See, what I what is really important for me when I'm building, especially with factions, is I want to know how the world works and how interactions work. Sure. To like an nth degree almost. Because mm-hmm. at that point, I don't have to figure stuff out as I go. I already know. Yep. I already know. I like to do more prep in the beginning and less prep in between sessions. That's fair. Yeah. So choose what level of prep you want because you're going to have to do more prep sometime. Yeah. Oh, you are. So you can choose either to do more work in the beginning or you can do more work as things go forward. And I prefer doing more work as things go forward because it means I'm more adaptable to what the players are doing. Yeah. A quick tip. If you want to make a map, take two pounds of dice and throw them out on a piece of paper or a vinyl sheet. Yep. And trace them. And you have continents. Yeah. Uh, if you want to, you can assign different features of land to the thing. Maybe ones are planes. Yeah, sure. Um, maybe all your D20s are settlements. And however high is the population level. That way, you don't have to think about where things are. It's a super fun randomized map. Way. Yep. Plus, it means you get to roll a fuck ton of dice. It which does. always feels great. Yep. And also... Like, even if you make those number rules, you don't have to follow them. If you see, like, seven fives, which are your forests, and you also see, like, I don't know, a bunch of sevens that are rivers, you can maybe consolidate that into one really large river and make it a bigger forest. Yeah. But it does sort of take out the geography guesswork that you have to do. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I'm not expecting that everyone took geography courses in a university level like I did. So you don't have to draw maps the way I do. Nope. Nope. I mean, I don't even draw maps. Yeah. Sometimes my players are like, why don't you do that stuff? And I'm like, well, if you want me to spend another two hours doing prep every week, I can get you maps. But I'm going to throw more dragons at you then. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas maps are super easy for me to do while I'm working. I'm just sitting on a call that I don't have to be super engaged in. I can just sketch a map. Mm -hmm. And do I build them the way maps, like, uh, do I think about weather patterns in Jetstream and how erosion would affect and how, like, tectonic shifts would work? Yeah. Yeah. I do. You don't have to, but it's something that I enjoy doing, so you can. Yeah. And my maps get pretty intricate, but it also means that I know where everything is. Yeah. And I would also, I guess, building off this map thing, I would think of maybe three or four landmarks that are just either strange or spectacular. Sure, yeah. That way they can always have, and the world has a reference point. Yeah. I have, in my campaign, I have a crater where a large ball of uh, transmutation magic fell. Okay, yeah. And so the entire wall is made out of this weird alloy, but it's a crater, giant crater made of this weird alloy, and there's actually a settlement built hanging off the side. Sure, yeah. Um, So that's very distinct and very visually interesting. The first planet Alpha Party went to was destroyed by a supervolcano. So yeah. one of the main, one of the three major continents was almost entirely the caldera. Yeah. So it gave places like, okay, I want to look. Oh, wow. So that's volcano. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's look at this one because based on the way the jet stream works, it mm. would be the least destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yes. Good thinking, and I believe someone got to die for that. Yeah, yeah, for for actually being science. Um, yeah, uh, so ju- just a couple, and I mean, it could it could be. I think my one of my other ones is this forest that's made entirely of birch trees that has a magical enchantment on it. Oh, okay. So, and it's not like an enchanted forest where there's unicorns and fairies. No, it's like 
if you don't follow weird directions, you can't get anywhere. You'll get lost. Ah. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. And, like, pe- the only way people have sort of figured out how to traverse this is through trial and error. So, like, if you make a mistake, you might turn a corner and see, like, seven corpses and be like, oh, <laughs> wrong way. <laughs> sure. That works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. again, strange, visually distinct, uh, large, impressive. Yeah. Have something. At the landing point, fallen skyscraper. Yep. The fallen skyscraper. Everything was, okay, where's the skyscraper in relativity to us? Yeah. There. Helps them find their way Okay, around. perfect. So, can we go down this road and then turn at the skyscraper to get towards that beach? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You always have a point of interest that they can center themselves around. Yeah. We need to take a break if we're going to. Yeah, let's do it. Great. Our second half is brought to you by Gamlor the Destructor. Praise Gamlor. Praise be Gamlor. And we're back. Yes. Uh, we, we took a break to chat about random stuff, and then we looked at the time and went, crap, we have to play Pathfinder soon. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. We gotta go meet AJ. So I don't think we're going to be able to give like a comprehensive guide, but Sean and I both have points that we think are really important Yes. Um, to go off of, so that's what we're going to focus on. If there's something that you really want us to talk about, ask Sean or me yep. on Twitter. Yep. At Sean Cord or at Mighty Fuse. Because there is... We're making it sound like it's a lot of work, and it is a lot of work. Yeah. But we're not trying to make it sound overwhelming, because yeah. it's not. No, it's it's very doable. And it might be a little overwhelming in the beginning, but as you go through, you're going to like get the tools and skills that you need to go faster through it, and also even write less stuff down, just because you know how to do it. Yes, and that's... We've, we've mentioned a few times across the podcasts, mm-hmm. when we're talking about DMing, or GMing, where... It's an hour of prep per hour of play. Yeah. So you're you're roughly spending an hour of work beforehand yeah. to cover an hour of what the players are going to do. Yeah. Now, it depends entirely on your group. Your group may move faster than what you do, like an hour to an hour. They may not move at all. They <laughs> might have a tendency just to get through half yeah. of what I prep yeah. for an eight-hour session, a 12-hour session. They'll get through six hours worth of what I've done, and that's fine. Yep. It means my next session's done. Yep. But when you first start, you're probably not going to be able to do everything in an hour because you're going to need to – you're going to put a lot of thought into it, and you might look for examples online, or you might re-listen to this podcast. And you, or might, you might need to refresh yourself on some rules. Yes. It's going to take you – even if it takes you three hours yeah. for an hour of play – it's not out of the ordinary. No. Don't freak out and think you're bad. No, don't. <laughs> Especially when you're first starting. Yeah. Don't feel bad about anything when yeah. you're first starting. Yeah. So with that disclaimer out of the way, uh, yes. I talked a lot for the first half. Do you want to talk a lot? It's not that I didn't talk a lot. It's true. You just talked more. Mm. <laughs> Love me them words. Mm. Them mouth noises. Well, 
I think, and especially this can be tied into what you do before the table, is you need to know your your big threat. You you talked about, like, the main threat, the big threat, yeah. knowing what the big threat is. But I think we need to tie that into knowing your antagonist. Yeah. And not just your main, your big bad, your yeah. main antagonist, but also who works for them. Yep. Because your party in a full campaign should not be fighting your big bad when they're level five. They probably shouldn't even know who the big bad is until and- you're, like, halfway through the campaign. Yeah. At least. Exactly. Sometimes they don't find out until the 11th hour. Yeah, and that's probably for the best. Yep. Have hints, like we were saying before, seed things throughout. Mm-hmm. Alpha Party in my game has no idea who the big bad is. No. But none. Absolutely none. Nope. <laughs> but... And my character will probably never know. <laughs> until you're shooting it? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> But that does not mean that they don't have inklings and that they haven't met a an antagonist. Yeah. I was going to say a bad guy and then I had antagonist pop in my head. I'm like, crap. Words. I have to shift that for English reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they like they have met an antagonist now. Yep. So they know of one of the bad guys. But you need that. And this is what I was talking about with the stone in a pool of water with everything rippling out. You need to know the stone. Mm-hmm. And this has got to be done first. Yep. Because they will affect world state. They will come from the world state or be directly opposed to the world state or becoming the world state. Yep. So how do you build a good antagonist? Yeah. Well, like most things, I say start with motivation. Yes. And nuance. Yeah. If you build an antagonist that is the physical embodiment of evil for evil's sake, mm-hmm. they are boring. Yeah. They can be fun. They can be fun. But they're boring. They are immediately dull. If they are evil for the sake of evil, why do they do that? That's the motivation. And then the all of a sudden you have nuance. Yes. You need a motivation. Yeah. Most villains don't see themselves as villains. Yeah. If they do, why? Yeah. And also... One of there's a couple things that are really useful for somebody who sees themselves as a villain, and I actually point to a lot of Japanese storytelling. Yes, in that they believe that the world needs to be taken apart, yep. so they know that they will be seen as a villain, but it's for the best. But they're doing it for the best reason, right? They believe that change is necessary, and they're willing to be bad to do it. Twentieth century boys, friend. Yep. Friend starts a cult. Yep. This is a an amazing manga series. Mm. If you have a chance to read it, do. Yep. I don't want to spoil it if you haven't read it, but he is becomes the center of a cult which dramatically changes the world through means that for basically everyone not involved in it can be seen as absolutely horrifying. Yeah. But he's doing it for the best of reasons. Yeah, and if you have trouble coming up with that sort of motivation, uh, a tip I picked up from Matthew Mercer is take something that people generally view as a virtue. Yep. So love or devotion uh, or a duty, a sense of duty. Yep. And take it to an nth degree. Yeah. Amplify it. Yeah. Amplify it until it becomes twisted. Yeah. And it can be different types of twisted, right? Yep. There's a necromancer roaming bear country and <laughs> a bear kills their loved one. Yeah. So they bring back their loved one as an undead. Right. But unfortunately, they don't have the power to make it a sentient undead. 
That's so now, a problem. That's a problem for them. So now they have to go about ways of empowering their undead lover. Yep. Right? And it doesn't have to be a weird, creepy sexual thing. No. It's just that this person's soulmate they can't be with, but they have the power to bring them back maybe. And how far are they willing to go? In this case, it should be all the fucking way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, right? And then all of a sudden you have a character that some of the players are going to relate to. Yep. Um, order at the cent at the to the nth degree, yeah. right? If somebody becomes this back to stealing mm-hmm. injustice, the entire injustice storyline in DC, yeah, the Joker tricks Superman into killing Lois Lane and setting off a nuclear bomb in Metropolis. Yeah, Superman in response sees that there has to be justice and order, and the only way that can happen is if the most powerful being on the planet, him, yeah. runs the place. Yeah. So it becomes a dictatorship of fear. Yeah. Now, is that for the best reason? In his mind, yes. Yeah. He's trying to install order on this planet. Yeah. The problem he is... He will stop future tragedies by doing this. Exactly. The problem is, is you are sacrificing all freedoms, all privacy, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. So there's... And you're also removing the ability of for redemption. Yes. Yeah. But that's he is the villain in that story for the best reason in his mind. Yeah. He is stopping another metropolis, but it means that there's not going to be any growth here. Yeah. And it's his way or death. Yep. Yep. So, stealing. If yep. you're having trouble with an antagonist, watch who's your favorite bad guy in cinema, in video games, yeah. in books. Yeah. Or, who's your favorite hero? Yep. And oftentimes, in a really good hero, is just a coin flip away from being a really great villain. Exactly. Yeah. Genius is a hair's breadth away from insanity. Yep. Right? Yep. So what if Albert Einstein was actually evil? What if Steve Jobs was evil? Yep. I have a book series on that. What if Steve Jobs, what it's not specifically Steve Jobs, but what if one of these high-tech geniuses actually had an ulterior motive? What if he was inserting AI into people's lives so that it would run the human race and people would lose their agency? Right. What if? What if is a very powerful device when it comes to building an antagonist? Yeah. Once you know your central antagonist, you can start building deputies. Yep. And deputies are what the party is going to meet earlier. Yeah. Why are they with this person? Yes. What do they believe? What do they see in this person? Yeah. That they are offering the world, the world state, the setting. What are they presenting that speaks to them? Yeah. And you know what? You don't always have to have this, like, loyalty. No. Sometimes it's like, what have they lost? Yep. Right? Who do they want to hurt? Yeah. Um, and, and like those are all really emotional questions. Yep. So you're going to create an emotional character. And that is what gives characters depth. And that's what makes characters interesting. Yep. And it all comes back to motivation and nuance. Yep. And again, look at Japanese storytelling. Yep. Um, a lot of the anti-heroes, especially in the like mech series. Oh, yeah. They're assholes. Total assholes. They're huge jerks. They're, pro- they're the protagonists, though, because they've hurt, they've lost. Yep. But the situation is about them overcoming that. Look at one of the highest rated manga of all time is Berserk. Yep. The main character of Berserk is not a good person. Nope. Definitely not. <laughs> Nowhere near a good person. <laughs> nope. It'd be very easy for Guts to be a villain. Yeah. Also, 
we keep on mentioning Japanese storytelling. Um, it's great because not a ton of people are into that it's over true. here. So yeah. when you steal from it, people are going to be like, where did that come from? Yeah, Where's exactly. that idea? You look so much more creative and original. <laughs> and like, don't get me wrong. Put your original creative stuff in. Yeah. If you have a great idea, use, d- it. use it. Yeah. But... There are going to be days when you don't have a great idea and you you've don't. got to run tomorrow. Yep, you need you need something to do. <laughs> yeah. You need something to do. All of a sudden, Far Cry 3 is looking pretty great. <laughs> One thing that is really difficult to do but can be a big payoff in your campaign is to have the villain become the villain during the course of the campaign. Yep. Like, what is the betrayal that sets them off? What is the failure that sets them off? What is the loss or the triumph that makes them think that they can do this. Yeah, that alters their perspective on reality. Yeah. Remem- their paradigm shift. Remember that your NPCs should grow and change. Yes, character develop your NPCs. Yeah. Even if you think they're only going to talk to them once. Yeah. Think, oh, where where might this person go? Yes. And during the game, write down, like, have notes, obviously, on all these people. Yeah. But write down when something happens or something is said that that character would notice, yep. that would resonate, and how do they interpret it. And how would it affect them, yeah. both short-term and long-term. Yeah, and by doing that, that's when you're going to get the big betrayal in your game, or the big surprise, yes. or the big reveal. Moments yeah. that your group is going to talk about forever, that is going to feel tremendously paid off, yep. and that are is going to develop organically, but the more seeds that you can place, mm-hmm. the better. You also have no idea which NPCs your players are going to connect with and going to keep with them. Yeah, and also, this is all, we've been talking a lot about planning, Yeah, but you can apply these same steps to stuff that happens in-game. Definitely. So, um, there's a character that my party has run into three times. Each time they've ended up fighting this person, and each time they've escaped. Ooh, okay. So now I'm looking at this person and being like, well, I gotta make them more part of the story. Yeah. Like, the party just couldn't deal with them. And now, look how much of a more of a problem it is. Um, the party's already invested in it. Yes. I mentioned the race this person is, and the entire party's like, what? Is it the person? <laughs> right? Like, sure. The, I didn't even have a personality starting with this character. It yeah. Was, it was, he was the leader of some mooks. Oh, okay. He was prideful, but that's basically all I had. Sure. Right? Yeah, well, I know exactly what you mean. Who's the Alpha Party's favorite NPC? Oh, Dirk Taylor, the tailor. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone else in the party listens to this, you are so going to get hate mail. He's my favorite. We love Dirk Taylor the Taylor. <laughs> we do love Dirk Taylor the Taylor. <laughs> but it's for cause. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Let's be fair. It's for cause. That's fair. A, a portly man with a bunch of connections that they don't really know about who was essentially the port master yep. of their original location. Yeah. Who they met because they failed a check. Yep. So he bailed them out, took them for drinks, and now all I hear about from a few people is for cause. Yep. People love it when an uh, NPC gives them a good turn. Yeah. Yeah, which is why people love bartenders so much. Yep, bartenders are great. Yep. But it's the same situation with him. I had two character traits and a, like, a loose voice idea and yep. his job. And now That's he's a it. secret agent. <laughs> now he's huge in the story. Yeah. Vitally important. Yeah. 
Yeah. And now he has a brother and an aunt and all of these other, like, I'm building stories around yes. this person. So keep, keep Be aware of people's reactions is what we're saying. Yes. And be aware of the weird things that happen. Like, how did the character escape the first time? He fell down a hole. He fell down a hole and some of his other mooks saved him. There you go. How did he escape the second time? The tunnel they were in was collapsing. He was on the other side of it. Perfect. Got away. Right? This isn't even a character that was powerful. He was just in the right place at the <laughs> right time on a couple separate occasions. And it becomes a story. Yep. And it's finding what those pl- what your players connect to mm-hmm. and embracing that. It's like I mentioned before. I have a, a, a player who is a power gamer. He likes to min-max. Okay. Right? But the things he actually enjoys are the silly, weird things that happen. Yep. Right? So... Put in the silly, weird things. Yeah. Yeah, you can let him min-max or whatever, give him an item that makes him more powerful mechanically or whatever. He'll enjoy that too. Yes. But you can also force him to babysit kids for three months. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You could. Yeah. And then later on, after your time skip, when the party's like, what do you know about kids? And he turns to them and says, more than you would think. They're like, but you're asexual, and there's so many questions. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's great. It's a great. It's a great thing to do. And it allows connections. Yeah, and you can do that with antagonists as well. Yeah, because if they keep running across this and they keep not having to, and they can't beat them, and the bad main bad guy. So say you introduce the main bad guy at level twelve. Yeah. If they have no hope of beating the main bad guy, yeah. but you present them with that, yeah, and then leave, they have something to go for. Yep. And also, they now know the character, so they'll start seeing that influence, and you can start seeding influence in places, altering the world setting to fit this antagonist you've built. Yep. Yep. It's all, all good important. stuff. All good stuff. Or, worst case scenario, invent a hot springs. Your players will go back to it. <laughs> they will continue to go back to it because it's nice there's, and they like it. <laughs> and there's some sweet healing clay we can get. Yes. Sometimes, <laughs> and it's just, it's going to happen. Yep. Yep. Fr- crap. Frig. I had a point and now I forgot it. Still about antagonist building? Yes. Okay. It is. Ah, uh, crap. It's gone. It'll come back later. <laughs> Don't overbuild them to start? No, nope. nope. that's not it. Oh, right. But, but that is a good point. That is a good point. Don't overbuild them to start. Let them grow in the world. I have a disclaimer. Okay. Sometimes you introduce the big bad and the party does something you had no idea would happen and they defeat the big bad. Super early. Super early. Um, I think the best example I've ever heard of is uh, the opening session of a game was that a city was being sieged by a really powerful sorcerer. Okay, sure. And um, the idea was the party had to escape. Right. right? And they'd escape by the skin of their teeth, and then they have... Start the standard hero's journey of like, okay, we now have a goal, we have to take this down to... We have to get away from here, but we'll be back. Yeah. Um, The party had a druid. That had a cantrip called Control Elements Specialized in Air. Okay. They suffocated the sorcerer. Yeah, okay. Yeah. They removed the air from around the sorcerer's head and then hid. And the sorcerer failed the rules to get them and suffocated to death. That's good game playing. It is good well game done. playing. Right? So, like, don't panic and have the sorcerer god mode. Yeah, no. Let that happen. Yes. Right? Because... 
Now you have a bunch of level one or level three characters after all that experience, whatever they get. If they kill the big bad, they better level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Let them level. Let them level. But they, you've got these really low characters that, like, the people who are in charge are in awe of. Yes. Right? Like, they couldn't do anything. Their royal guards couldn't do anything. Like, the priests and clerics, the head of the temples, couldn't do anything. But you did. Yeah. So, guess who the spotlight's on now? Yeah. <laughs> like, that is the a great start to a campaign. It's fantastic. Or a great turn in the middle of a campaign. Yes. Like, this is those three big moments. So, you've had your climax in the first session. Okay. No problem. Build up to the next one. Yes, exactly. That yeah. sorcerer is probably not alone. No. There could be a guild. There could be a, a coven. There could be anything. And why was the sorcerer, if you've built your antagonist properly, why were they doing it? Yeah, because other people might be working with them. Yep, or maybe the party agrees with the reasoning eventually. Do they then become the antagonist? Maybe. Maybe. Also a fun story. How interesting. <laughs> I think one of the one of the main things as a GM that you need is to appreciate the dark drama that's going to happen. If you don't have that appreciation, then you're going to feel bad when you do stuff. And sometimes I feel bad when I do stuff. Really? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Like, mostly when I like pull the rug out from somebody because they've just not been paying attention. Oh, I never feel bad about that. I Pay feel attention. a little bad about it. <laughs> well, no, not like, not engagement. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, they just haven't picked up on the hints. Oh. So it's just like, oh, it's a sunny day. I'm walking through and all of a sudden like a rocket launcher comes by and just blows everything up. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel kind of bad when that happens. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. I did feel kind of bad when I did murder a character. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> nobody knowing the monsters in game because I'm making them all from scratch. Mm -hmm. Well, from scratch slash thank you Pathfinder Beastry to give me baselines and that yeah. sort of stuff. But yeah. Walking in thinking that she'll only be possessed and the easiest to kill and then murdered. Yep. <laughs> Murder. Murder. But it was a great story turn. It was. So I didn't feel too bad. And speaking of story turns, I'd like to transition away from antagonists, if that's okay. I think it's a good idea because we're 20 minutes into the second half. Gotcha. <laughs> so um, one thing I really want to mention that's really important is character arcs. Yes. And I'm not talking about character arcs for your NPCs. I'm talking about for your players. Yes. Because character arcs for your NPCs are going to happen naturally. Yep. Just go with the flow. Know what they know. You're yeah. fine. But you've done this big setup. Yep. You've got your different points of the big things that are going to happen. You've got your signposts ready. The concentric circles are rippling out. You're good. Yes. You've got it. You're planned. You're good to go. How do you make a campaign personal? Right. How do you give characters a chance to grow? Yep. Um, so... My advice is not don't do it right away. If somebody gives you a great backstory, perfect. Make them the center in the beginning. Yep, because it gives you a, a grounding for character yeah. in the story. Yeah, and as, as uh, we said in our first session, give the people time to talk to each other in character. Yeah. Um, get them the, to know them. You're going to get party dynamics that way. Yep, and um, listen to them. And listen to them. Like, yes, take when your players are talking as your chance to A, take a break, B, take a drink, C, maybe have something to eat, D, make some notes. Or but while you're doing all of that... E, go to the bathroom. <laughs> while you're doing any and all of that, yeah. listen, 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 listen. Yeah. Um, but what I like to do 
is a lot of times in their backstory, they will have a central threat that they have to deal with. Sure. Their character is going to want to deal with that, and that's really easy to work in. Maybe, maybe you make it part of one of the factions. Maybe you make it a deputy of the big bad. Yep. Maybe it's a neutral force. Yeah, it's it, a wild very easily card. could be. We, um, when we did our, our first session thing, we talked about a, a fighter. Yep. Who had their rival killed their friend. Yep. So now they're going off to learn better techniques so that way they can come back and avenge that. Yeah. As an um, example. As an example. Um, and that's going to happen. Yes. It's going to happen in the game, but that's not actually going to give them their character. That's the idea the, the player has of their character in their head already. Yes. If you just go and do that, the, the player might enjoy it. They might be engaged, but that character is not going to really grow. But um, it gives you a place to start it from. It does give you a place to start from. And what I like doing is I like being like, okay, I sort of have like a wheel in my head where I'll spin it and I'll be like, okay, whose turn is it type thing. Sure. And obviously I'm planning sessions and sessions ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that's the only way you can really do it. So I take a character and I go, okay, there's is this character. This is what it is. This is who they are. What are the themes around this character? Is it love? Is it betrayal? Is it loss? Is it learning? Is it discovery? Like, th- there's so many different themes that can apply to characters, and you'd be surprised how many new ones come out over the course of the game. Yes. Um, just because the right time at the right place, or the wrong time at the right place. Also wonderful. Yes. So take a look at those themes, and what I like to do, because what's interesting to me in character growth is the collisions they're going to have. Not yeah. only with other characters, but with themselves. Yeah. We talked about in the character creation, where does your character bend and where do they break? Right. That is the most interesting intersection for me. You don't want to force a character to bend or break. No, never. But you do want to ask a question. That can lead them towards something that could make them bend. Yeah, so what's a good question for this character? What's central to them and a decision maybe they haven't made or they think they've made? Yes. And how can you twist that and make it difficult? Are they a coward? What happens when everything depends on them? Right? Because at some point it will. Yeah. Slash, at some point it should. Yeah. One a beautiful moment that just happened in my game, and I didn't even plan on doing, but one of the characters, the slave pit fighter, okay. doesn't know family, has never known family. The okay, party sure. is basically the best idea of family they've ever had. Right. And in the last session, the only character who has a family that is alive and well got really upset and yelled at the slave fighter. Just because you don't have a family doesn't mean you get to decide this. And mm. Yeah. So, like, just this bombshell goes down, right? Yep. But, like, one of the main questions I have for that character right now, and I've had since the beginning, is how does this character learn to have family? Right. Because how, because that's a, it's a type of connection that that character wouldn't know. Right. So. So what is the reaction? Because the thing is... Is that the two characters here kind of been developing into sisters almost. Okay, sure. So, like, you know what? That's something a sister might do. Yeah, definitely. So, like, I'm I'm so happy it happened. Like, everyone at the table was like... (sighs) (laughs) Right? And Uh it's great. It's fantastic. And it's a moment that is going to be remembered. It is. It's it's going to be an important moment, both narratively for you, and by you I mean Jeremy, the DM, but also for the character and for the party. Yep, and it has nothing to do with any of the threats. Nothing. But it's huge character growth. How do you think I felt when one of our players decided that he needed to leave? Yep, (laughs) yep. 
completely outside of all of the threats. Yep. Um, Alpha Party again on that planet with the the caldera, the one that we mentioned in the first half where the super volcano, they had started to make connections with the town of survivors who were trying to make it work. Mm. So then in exchange for the mineral rights, they started to negotiate taking this town and putting them into a new place that was safe from monsters and the terrible diseases you get from breathing in rock all the time, all that sort of stuff. And one of the characters started spending time with the children of this village and then started like helping to babysit them learning the language through them reading to him books all of that sort of stuff and became friends with them so when they finally wrapped up the year on this planet <laughs> in campaign not in, well outside of camp meta year in yeah. campaign two months like two months yeah yeah he in character without even realizing it like all of a sudden had this epiphany where he said i can't leave these kids yeah. I, I, I can't. I can't. Nope. Milan I have, cannot. I have, I have to stay with these. I have become a part of their life. Yeah. And they are more important to me than the party. Yep. yep. So he did. Yep. Goodbye, that character. But a satisfying end. It was a great end yeah. for the first arc in this campaign. Yep. Yep. Beautiful end. Now we've introduced him a new crazy character and he seems to be enjoying it. We yep. haven't had a lot of chance to play with it yet, but like yep. he's so it's provided a huge amount of growth to the group through something that was just a complete throwaway well, for th- me to I think start. We, we did a montage of like his memories of playing with these kids and yeah. then the parties like memories of the things that he did with yeah. them. And that's how we ended that session. Yeah, it was, it was a really nice ending. But the the thing is, is that that's a question that you never even thought of. No, and he, he if wanted, that happens, it's fantastic. He wanted something to do in the village because he didn't have anything else. Yeah. And then when all of the, the town came to have di- like breakfast, mm-hmm. breakfast with the party on the ship, cause they can make better food than they can make on planet. Yeah. So they made breakfast and some of the kids came and he connected with Glorp. Yeah. Cause he named him Glorp. He didn't name him Glorp. He connected with this kid and then it just became this full through line for him yep. with, of something that was just kind of a throwaway for me, but it became super important. Throwaway in planning, I mean. Yep. So. I, well, that's the thing. You listen. Yes. Listen, pay attention and see what's happening and be willing to be surprised. Yeah. Because a lot of, a lot of early DMs are unwilling to be surprised and they fight surprises yeah don't fight a surprise don't fight when your players do something that you didn't plan for yeah or in that sorcerer idea if they kill the sorcerer like we were saying don't stop them yeah don't let the sorcerer resurrect themselves immediately and then murder them yeah like it if you really want to have fun with that high level sorcerer later have a necromancer resurrect them near the end game yeah (laughs) super easy (laughs) yeah yeah so I'm just going to go off of a couple common character tropes that okay. seem like they're dead ends for character growth. But uh, so you have the character that's greedy, that just wants to steal and amass wealth. Okay, How do sure. you grow a character like that, right? What happens when they come face to face with true charity? Sure. Right? Like at one point does their conscience actually tell them it's wrong to take something? And push for that. Yeah. And yep. push it. And like be like, as you do this... Like, you see the sick child that you're stealing from. Yeah. Right? Force them to develop some sort of conscience, even if it is a post-action guilt. Yeah, sure. 
Or another option, which might be a little more complicated, to be fair, yeah, is what happens if to get the wealth, they're basically turning. Yep. That's where we were talking about the dynamic between being the hero to the villain. Yep. What if to to achieve their goal, they have to essentially side with the your villain. antagonist? Yep. Yep. It's harder to do. It is. Than the act of true charity. Yep. But it could be very satisfying. It could be. Could be very. I think that again, that's you read the player. Yes. Read the player. Can the what player do that? Because if they can, I'd push go for em. it. Yeah. Um, what's another one? Oh, I just want to fight and kill stuff. Oh, that's so boring. Right? It's so boring. It's so boring. Okay, you're fighting and killing stuff. You're running through this goblin village and murdering everything, right? And then you come upon the nursery. Yeah. Do you kill all those goblin children? You've killed all their parents. They're basically dead. Yeah. So now what? Now what? What do you do? And you know what? If they kill all the children or they leave them there to die, haunt them with dreams. Yep. Insert guilt. Um, Ghosts are fun. Ghosts are fun. (laughs) Or have them attract a cursed object. Like, yeah, there's there's lots of good ways to give somebody who seemingly doesn't have any depth to them and force a depth forward. And if they continually reject it, well, then that that's still depth. Yeah, because they run from their issues. It's added a nuance. Yeah. So what happens when they can't run? Which is on you yep. to find a way to stop them from being able to run from it. Yeah. But th- those are the things where... And, and don't like do not do this on one character all the time. You need to highlight other people. Yes. Right? And th- like sometimes... Well, that was the mind wheel you were talking about. Yeah. Like whose day is it? Yeah. Whose time is it? Yeah. And, and when you've got your points that you want to hit in your main story, how like is there a point that resonates with one of these characters? Because then weave in even more stuff for them there. Make that their show. Yep. That's Um, their moment. Let them enjoy that moment. Because there will be, and we talked about this the first time too, there's going to be sessions where if you have five people, four people will have stuff to do and one will be reading. Yeah. It's just, it's going to happen. Yep. That is the main time when I feel bad. Yeah. Downtime. I hate downtime for people. I know it's going to happen. It has to happen. But. Especially if people are playing true to their characters. Yep. If they meta, it's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. But pay attention to that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, because, one, it's going to be really satisfying for your players. There's even people that don't know they want it are going to experience it. Yeah. And they're either not going to be able to handle it. Or they're going to... Either way, they're going to become better players for it. They're going to become better players for it, for sure. So. Um, and also, it's going to fill out the gaps you have in between the action you've already planned. Right. Because we don't want you to try and plan everything. Nope. Because there's no way you can. Nope. And it, like I said, give the players time. You're players s- are a resource. Like, in all honesty, they're a resource. I don't trust them. No. They're not your best resource. No. But they are a resource. Right. And especially if you have a player that you see is into the role play. They are the Wikipedia yeah. of planning games. <laughs> they are. That's the perfect They are analogy. a source, but they are not the best source. <laughs> yeah. And they're not always reliable. And they're not always right. Yeah. But they're there. Mm-hmm. But like, lean on the people. If you if you have a group and only one person seems really comfortable with this sort of thing, choose them first. Yep, latch onto them first. Yeah, develop their arc and let the others see what you are doing there. Yep, and then when an opportunity comes for them to do that, they're that much more likely to grab it. Yep, because they will have seen it. 
Yeah. And seeing it helps, especially new players, a lot. Yeah. Which is why in our first one we talked about try and have an experienced player yep. within. That yep. way you can build, and it'll help with character arc especially, yep. build around them early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, there are very different ways of going around this, right? Right. Um, if you're building a living world like you like to, where you don't have things revolving around the players as much, yep. seed these people on the outside. Yeah. And have them come in. And well, it's very easy to do it. They're a merchant in a store, or they're at the same town square as you during a speech. Or sure. They're, they're where you have to be, and it's very easy to weave that in. Well, and the thing is, it's like, I build a living world where the world doesn't need the players, yeah. but the story I build does. Yeah. Because it's the player's story. Yeah. And that, I think, because there's no way in hell that we can cover encounters today. Nope. If that is wanted ask yep. even if that's not wanted we're probably going to do that next yeah probably if not wanted it's wanted i'm sure do you not want us internet? <laughs> oh, internet but the last thing i can say is you are telling the player's story yeah yeah you are not telling your story yeah your story is the player's story yeah and like you're telling the world story yep that's what you're responsible for of the players yeah the players are responsible for their story and you're here to help them experience that story. That's it. Yeah. And again, I mentioned I haven't mentioned it this time in this <laughs> in this podcast, but if somebody is uncomfortable with something, let them back out of it. Yep. Retcon. Yeah. It, it doesn't take people out of the world. People feel more comfortable at the table, which means they're willing to take more risks at the table, which means you get more character scenes, which means you get more character growth, which means you get a more enjoyable game. C and C of D and D. That's right, the CNC of D and D. If you run like me and you want things to revolve around the players a little bit more, just have the person enter a tavern and walk around asking people if they've they're adventurers and they need help. Like, you can be more forceful. Yeah. Just don't do it every time like that. Try not to. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like oh, every single character we meet is important, um, which you don't want to get them into. No. Yeah. Yeah a lot of work for you yeah also they're going to be disappointed (laughs) and it also doesn't make any sense yeah yeah not everyone's important no throwaway characters are great yeah mundane characters are great yep makes the world feel real does remember that form boy has a crush on that waitress yeah yeah and that bear cult that bear cult is coming for them yeah what about their star-crossed love what about it sean gigathorn cares not for star-crossed love (laughs) <laughs> no, we've got to save Brady and Cheryl. They're meant to be together. <laughs> well, there's your first campaign. <laughs> <laughs> so silly. Yeah, we're 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 gonna have to do a, an encounter one. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess be excited for that. Woo! Yeah. Or if somebody asks us really heavily for something else to elaborate on the four major things we. Yeah. hammered into on yeah. this podcast then yeah. let us know I think you can build a decent campaign with all that knowledge I would hope so and if you have a question about campaigns look at a long running TV series yeah or a manga run that is complete yeah or a graphic novel uh, or a series of graphic novels but make sure it has an ending yeah you don't want to do something like The Walking Dead where it never ends because it's built to never end and you want yours to have a satisfying ending Yeah. 
So if if there's something where you're like, ooh, I don't know really how to do this, look at those longer forms. Yeah. And you don't have to watch them all. Just be like, what are the arcs here? I am a hero of 20th Century Boys, which I already mentioned once. Yep. Both of those have strong anti-heroes, strong heroes, strong protagonists, and very, very good antagonists. Yep. Uh, and even just short-run mangas uh, like Chobits, hmm? um, that is less a sweeping story, but it's a very good character study. Yep. So... If you're trying to build a very character-centric one where you don't want to have a lot of world events and it's really just about the characters, that's the stuff to look at. Yep, that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, Well, I guess that's it. You, Mr. and Mrs. Internet, are the lifeblood of our podcast, and we want to answer your questions. Just have a good old chat. You want to talk to us? How about on Twitter? I can be found at Mighty Thews. That's Mighty, T-H-E-W-S. And Sean can be found at Sean Cord. That's Sean with a U. And we are the uh, at Guys From Podcast. You can also email us at guysfrompodcast at gmail.com or Facebook us at The Guys From. Which nobody ever does, but we're going to start hiding stuff in there. Mmm, secrets. Sweet, sweet secrets. If you enjoy The Guys From Podcast, tell anyone you can any way you can. And the best thing you can do to help us get the word out there is to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Or on whatever service you use for podcasts. All ratings help. Yes, rate We're, us. Rate us all. <laughs> so the Urbear commands it. <laughs> Gigathorn. <laughs> Someday. We are available pretty much everywhere podcasts are found, including Blueberry, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Player FM, Two Thumbs Up Media. You name it, we are probably there. If we're not, let me know, and I will fix it. Hey, Jeremy, is there anything you wanted to plug? You bet there is, Sean. Two days ago, as per this coming out, uh, my uh, next article came out Yep. on the guys from. It covers Monster Hearts, which is run by the Apocalypse system. Yes. Um, it's a high school simulator, except everyone's secret monsters. You're probably going to have kissing. There's probably going to be real awkward conversation. Uh, it's a great time. And if you're interested in playing something other than sci-fi or fantasy, and you want something a little more modern, a little more fast and loose, it's a great game to check out. So check out the article. Uh, and, and remember, if there's anything that you want me to write about or us to talk about, let us know. That's it, Sean. On our website, <laughs> www.theguysfrom.com, aside from hosting this thorough podcast, we also write articles on things like music. That's indie music every weekday, throwback tracks on Thursdays, movies, the guys from tabletop gaming, some backlogging video game stuff, TV, you name it, we probably write about it. For more horror goodness, head to at the dark half on Instagram. That's basically what I was doing at iHorror, but for myself, which makes it a lot of fun. And go play a game. Yep. Do it. Go play a game. Find some TTRPGs. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Special thanks to The Sweets for our opening music. Check them out at wearethesweets.com and also to Kevin McLeod for our ad music, Fireflies and Stardust, and our takeout music called Fearless First. This has been episode 206 of the Guys from Podcast, the Ur-Bear Podcast. Gigathorn demands your patronage. Thanks for listening. Once again, I'm Sean. And I'm Jeremy. Have a great week, everybody. Or month, I guess, because I'm on like every month. Yeah, although there's another one next week, but it's not about a gaming thing. No. uh... See you next time. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to end it on that. (laughs) 